right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's one last look back at 2023. We are finally getting around to our top 10 film scores of 2023. You guys who have listened to this show for a long time know that I am a film music composer, so this is always a very exciting episode for me to do. I usually have my friend TJ Cross on the episode, uh, but timing just didn't work out for him to be on it this year. So instead, we've got Brian Scuttle, another film composer who has also been here on Piecing It Together a bunch of times in the past. Uh, He is from Sonic Cinema, and we had a great conversation. We get into a lot of great picks, a few crossovers between our lists, which is always fun, and some kind of out there, out of left field picks as well. We'll also get into some honorable mentions, so a lot of great film scores to get into, and that is coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod, and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And with that said, let's get into this nice long conversation about some of our favorite scores of 2023. All right, it's time to get into our favorite scores of 2023. And joining me today, we've got Brian Scuttle from Sonic Cinema. Brian, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is a uh, subject near and dear to my heart. And uh, as you know, and I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's going to be a fun one. And I, I feel like I know my list, uh, I could say, is a very varied list this year. Like it's kind of all over the place as far as the the film music that really spoke to me. And I, I've also got some honorable mentions because I did have a lot of trouble narrowing down my top 10. Like I had 20 that I was really thinking about and they were bouncing around the list like right up until just before recording. So uh, <laughs> it, it's kind of all over the place, but it's going to be really interesting to see what you've got. We've got a lot to get into, so let's just get right to it. And we'll start with you. What do you have for your number 10? So my number 10 is one that came out early last year. And I think a lot of people to a certain extent might have forgotten about this movie, but I certainly didn't. It was a very unique experience watching it and then listening to the score afterwards. And it's one that stayed with me. It is uh, Infinity Pool by Tim Hecker uh, for Brandon Kronberg's score. The thing that I love about this one is that it it's very much rooted in ambient music and soundscapes. And I, I think the one that stood out most to me upon re-listening to it in order to think of a track um i definitely love home invasion i think that's a great track yeah but i also really liked orgy And, you know, you you think about that term and what it entails and the way that there's such a sinister way that Hecker scores this film and scores these ideas. And it's weird to hear sort of a sensual nature to his sure. score with 
all the unsettling horror that is going on in the film. Yeah, well, that's the thing, too, because, like, this movie is such a nightmare, but at the same time, it's also, like, in the moment, it's kind of just, like, bliss for, you know, this character, and so uh, that those kind of things creeping into it, even though it's still super dark, super off-putting, totally a nightmare at the same time, uh, yeah, he really blends those things together really well, so uh, I just have to say, and I might as well just... Throw it out there right now. My number 10 is also Infinity Pool. Uh, we are <laughs> on the same page right away. Uh, Tim Hecker, what he does here. It, it's funny because it, it, it sounds so much like what we already think of when we think of Brandon Cronenberg's movies. Like this fits in so well with Possessor. It fits in so well with Antiviral. It's like it's just a continuation of the same kind of ideas. But that's exactly what you could say about the film itself. Brandon Cronenberg is in a specific lane and he keeps kind of like exploring that very specific theme throughout all of his movies so far. And I think Tim Hecker here is just like really accenting everything that Brandon Cronenberg is trying to do. And uh, yeah, it's such a... Uh, dark and off-putting score, and um, I, I singled out the track Doubling Part 2. Glad that we're off to a great start here with both of our number 10s. Uh, let's go to your number nine. What do you got next? So my number nine is the first time we'll be talking about an animated film with regards to my list. And it is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem by Reznor and Ross. Mm -hmm. And I singled out something to love. One of the reasons I chose that one, you know, it's fascinating because of the fact that having th them score this movie is very interesting from a nostalgic standpoint. Because, I mean, obviously, if if you're of a certain age, you have nostalgia for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And around the same time as when Nine Inch Nails was at its zenith. Yeah. And in terms of popularity. So the idea of having Resident Ross score this film is very interesting from that respect but the ways that they bring thematic elements into a largely electronic score is really exciting and i i'm i'm really starting to become quite engaged by them as composers away from Obviously, their most well-known collaborator, which is David Fincher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I may have more to say about this score later on on my list, but um, yeah, it's it's a really uh, really great one, and I like what you were saying there about the nostalgia aspect because uh, this is a movie that is steeped in nostalgia for that era, from all the rest of the soundtrack choices to the animation to just the fact that it's the turtles to begin with. So um, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to put it. And uh, I will go to my number nine, which is Eileen, uh, the score by Richard Reed Perry. 
Um, this is just like a very beautiful noir style jazzy kind of score that uh, has a lot of mystery elements to it that kind of keeps you guessing and plays it really close to the chest, just like the film itself. You never quite know with the film whether it's just a friendship, if it's going to turn into a romance, or if there's maybe something darker that's going to happen later on, or even violent that's going to happen later on. And just like the film, the score really never lets on exactly where things are headed, and I, I really love how uh, he manages to pull that off. The track that I singled out here is Photos in the Office, which is a very playful piece of music. Which again, it, it, it really leans into that whole thing of like, is what's going on here just surface level or is there something more that this scene is going to maybe like play into later on in the film? And so uh, I just think it's a great piece of music and a great movie. And by the way, hopefully not stepping on any uh, pick that you've got later on, but Richard Reed, Reed Perry also scored The Iron Claw this year, uh, which was on my short list, it didn't make my top 10, uh, but also another fantastic score. Oh, excellent. I've not seen Eileen or the Iron Claw, actually. I'm, okay. I'm behind on a lot of my viewing. Once I get caught up with all the Oscar nominees, hopefully I'll get to catch up with movies like those. Um, but yeah, I haven't had a chance to see Eileen, but that's good to know about the uh, score. And I'll definitely, when I do get to the movie, I'll definitely uh, keep a listen out for that. Right on, right on. What do you got for number eight? So my number eight is another animated film. Um, it is The Boy and the Heron and the score by the legendary Joe Hisayashi, um, Miyazaki's longtime collaborator and really somebody who brings a lot of heart to Miyazaki's work. And this is another tremendous example from him. I was really glad to see him on the uh, short list, even if he didn't make the top five for the Oscars. It mm -hmm. really is disappointing because of the fact that I was late to the boy in the Heron, but I absolutely love listening to this score over and over. And I, I'm going to focus my my main one that I want to highlight is the first track of the score, which is Ask Me Why Evacuation. It really gets to the ways emotionally that uh, the composer really what he brings to Miyazaki on a regular basis and the ways in which the animation and the music in these collaborations always just seems to sing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is actually one that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, I, I'd like to at least listen to the score, though, because I know everybody has been raving about it. I am Miyazaki is kind of a blind spot for me, and I feel like I should just go back and watch like from early on and start working my way up to The Boy and the Heron. I, I feel like it might be kind of jumping in off the deep end to just start with that one, but uh, <laughs> I definitely want to check it out, though, at some point. I'm uh, really interested in hearing that score. Uh, everybody has been raving about it. So mm -hmm. uh, 
I'll go for number eight with Poor Things uh, from the composer Jerskin Fendrix. Uh, working with Yorgos Lanthimos must be a difficult job for any composer, I'd imagine. And uh, you have to go weird and unique and to try to fit the vision of what one of his films are. And this score really, really gets into the mindset of Bella Baxter, Emma Stone's central character in the film. Um, her very unique worldview because of the way that she was brought into this world and uh, the way that she sees everything in that very specific point of view, it's you know reflected in the cinematography, the production design, mm. and the score is a big part of it as well. The weirdness of just everything. Everything just feels kind of out of tune. There's lots of these strange pitch bends and, and uh, you know, taking instruments and just messing with them and all kinds of weird stuff to get this uh, kind of sonic soundscape. So uh, I, I'll just go with the main theme, Bella, as the, uh, the main piece to single out here. But the score from beginning to end, it's a mixture of beautiful and just very strange. And that's exactly what this movie called for. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i somebody who, when I first started watching Poor Things, I, I, I felt like I was about to just completely bounce off the movie and just not get into it. Mm -hmm. um, as the film started to focus more on Bella Baxter, though, and really take her point of view... I got more and more engaged and uh, the score definitely helps with that. I'm not as high on the score as a lot of other people are. I'm not as high on as the Academy is. I understand why people respond to it. And I do think the emotional elements of it work very well, especially as we go along Bella's journey. Um, I think it's the more uh, kind of schizophrenic parts of the score some of the more oddball <laughs> orchestrations that just kind of didn't really vibe with me on the score. I, it's it's a score that I respect more than I have a tendency to will have a tendency to really re-listen to over and over. No, and that's actually a really good point. I think that mostly what I love about the score is its use in the film and how it is worked into her world, but it is probably not one you're going to want to just sit throw on some headphones and listen to or, or listen yeah. to on, on a on a you know sunday drive or anything like that uh it would be a little bit weird to to get into <laughs> just on its own but yeah let's go to your uh, number seven so my number seven is the final musical statement from one of the great composers of all time it is a uh, ryuichi sakamoto's score for Koreda's uh, Monster. Okay. And this was a score. I, I've been a fan of Koreda's for a couple of decades now, ever since I saw Nobody Knows, just floored me. And Monster, if you haven't had a chance to see it, floored me as well. And, you know, a lot of what Sakamoto does in his music, which is very sparse, uh, it's largely based on piano but there are orchestra orchestral elements as well the film is very much a 
it's a riff on Rashomon in the sense of different points of view in the life of a young boy. And we get the boy's point of view, we get his teacher's point of view, we get his mother's point of view. And the thing I love about Sakamoto's work is that it really does capture the emotional aspects of this story and how varied the emotional reactions are by each of the characters. Um, the track I'm going to, the track I would point out here is the very first one, 2202-0207, which is basically the date the film begins. It's it's a piano piece. It's a seven minute piano piece. And it's it's the type of piano piece that I love because of the fact that I I really love working with piano as a composer in a way that uses its ability to be more of an ambient mm-hmm. uh instrument as well as a melodic one. And I think Sakamoto just does a brilliant job of doing that in this piece in particular. Okay, yeah, I I haven't seen it yet. I I loved Broker last year, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to checking out Monster. Uh, but yeah, the the piano is just such a uh, you know wide ranging instrument. It could just do so much in you know different kinds of usages. So uh, I I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. Yeah, let's go to my number seven, which is uh, Fair Play. Uh, composer is Brian McComber. Uh, this is a, a little kind of powder keg of a drama about a couple who is kind of uh, imploding because uh, the woman gets a promotion that the guy was expecting. And uh, it doesn't seem like a movie that's really going to go all out like on the score aspect. But this score just gets so big and there's like electronica flourishes and it just gets so exciting and I really feel you know sometimes that could be too much but to me personally I feel like the score elevates this thing from a kind of middle of the road you know it, it was a Netflix streaming movie that nobody mm. really talked about uh, th- this score really kind of elevated it for me and made it a movie that I really really liked last year and also, whenever I do these top 10 scores lists, I almost always end up with a score on my list that reminds me of something I would do when I'm composing for a uh, for a film. And this is the one of this list this year where I'm like, this is kind of where I would go if I was scoring this movie. And so I really respect that here with, with what Brian McGomber is doing. And I uh, pulled out the track, Go Long... Again, it, it's it takes what could be just like a, a very dramatic kind of underplayed piece of the score, and instead just goes big and exciting, and it lifts the <laughs> whole thing up. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting and cool piece. Yeah, it's another movie that I need to uh, catch up with. Um, once I'm caught up with everything Oscar wise, but yeah, I I do want to see that movie, 
And I'll, I'll definitely, again, another interesting soundtrack recommendation. I can't wait to uh, hear it based on what you uh, just said about it. Right on. Well, what do you got for number six? So my number six is one that wouldn't necessarily surprise me if it's on your list. It is uh, How to Blow Up a T- Pipeline by Gavin Brivik. And this is this was a score that I absolutely love from the second I heard it. And it was one that I listened to a lot when I was when I go to work, when I'm at work, when I was at work. And the way that this uses electronic elements to build in suspense as we are seeing this group of environmentalists um prepare for this uh for blowing up the pipeline as well as what happens during it and the cue i want to point up to is uh up now which is an 11 minute track It's one of those tracks that I really just love on a soundtrack where you just listen to it, get progressive to your point, getting progressively bigger and bigger. Yeah. And just seeing the ways that it releases tension, seeing the way it builds tension. It's really an exciting score to listen to. It was one of my favorites for the year for a good portion of the year. This is actually a movie that I still haven't gotten a chance to see, but I did listen to the score once, and it is awesome. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't include it because <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, uh, but I right. it, it might have made my <laughs> list, though, if I had. Uh, yeah, it's really great stuff, and I'm looking forward to finally getting around to that movie one of these days. Um, I, I don't know how I missed it. I, I need to see that movie. <laughs> but uh, Between podcasting and reviewing, we when do we have time? There's too much. I mean, seriously. Too much stuff. <laughs> Too much stamp stuff. That is the truth. Uh, number six is TMNT Mutant Mayhem. You already brought it up, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, yeah, I think you know this is such like a blast of '90s. Like that. That's really why I included it. My the track that I uh, included is "New Form of Life" itself, which is just this very percussive, fast paced. <laughs> does not sound like something you would normally hear in a film score but then you're like well it is trent reznor and atticus ross it is nine Mm. inch nails basically and so of course it makes sense but uh yeah they are really starting to because originally when they first started making scores you know with the social network and various stuff um they had a sound and everybody knew like what a trent reznor and atticus ross score is and now they're starting to really branch out. You know, The Killer is a very different kind of score. Last year's Empire of Light was very different. Um, they're, they're starting to do a lot more stuff. And this one, it, I think it veers away from what you typically consider a Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score and goes into like, this is kind of an instrumental Nine Inch Nails album. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm well, in. And, and, yeah, and that's one of the things that I didn't mention uh, earlier is the fact that there are a lot of elements in this soundtrack that feel very 90s nine inch nails 
Wars. Yeah. Like it reminds you of Wish. It reminds you of Downward Spiral. Reminds you of all those remix tracks. And yeah. it's it's really kind of and I, I do think them starting to break away from just working with David Fincher has been a big help yeah. for that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I I I I mean, even even Mank of a few years ago was mm-hmm a really great departure from for for them from what we were had become so accustomed to with them yeah absolutely and also to it being very nine inch nails like you know there's a lot of like 90s throwback hip-hop on the soundtrack and you know it just fits in again with that like if you're putting together a playlist of great 90s music you'd have a lot of that hip-hop you'd have a lot of classic nine inch nails so it all just fits in really well together so Mm -hmm. Let's go to your number five. So my number five, you and I talked about a little bit the last time I was on the uh, podcast. Uh, We were talking about this movie. It is uh, Marco Betromi's score for Silent Night, the John Woo film. Okay. And the reason it's so high for me is because, A, I think Betromi's, even though he is an Oscar nominee, I, I think he's still very vastly underrated composer. And I think it's because he's so well entrenched as a genre film composer. And I think that is something that makes people kind of discredit him. But you listen to his work for Scream. You listen to his work for Alex Perez over the years. There's definitely a voice there. And I love the way... And again, we talked about it. I I love the way that music is such an important part of this film because there is not a lot of dialogue yeah. driving the action. So the music has to play a huge part. And I think Bo Trami just did a tremendous job with that. And the track that I picked up was uh, Final Vision. which is one of the last tracks on the soundtrack and basically is a summing up of the emotional arc of the film. And so that's, that's basically where I was coming from with this choice. Yeah, no, great pick. Uh, very, you know, outside the box pick there, but I like it. You know, it's such a, like a big melancholy, like uh, it's a melodrama really like just like over the top and, and, uh, it, you know, mixed with all the Christmas stuff and like, it's a, it's a cool score. And, you know, it was a fun one to talk about on the podcast when we, uh, when we did do that episode. So yeah, good, good pick there. I like that. Um, I will go for number five. I'm going, speaking of people who we lost this year, I'm going with Robbie Robertson's score for Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I'm not as high on Killers of the Flower Moon as a lot of people are. Um, I was very mixed on the film, but one thing that I do think is awesome about it is this score. Uh, It's fantastic. It is just so cool. It's at times a little bit too much in its own lane. It's just like Robbie Robertson making awesome music in the background. Uh, But those pieces are just so damn cool. And it has like the cultural aspect mixed into it, which makes it fit so well into the vision that, uh, you know, Scorsese is trying to get across with this 
way of telling the story. Uh, I picked the track Tribal Council as my standout piece here. which really does kind of mix those vibes of it's like we, we've got this this guy who is just a master of making just really cool, smooth, just like kind of bluesy kind of stuff, but mixed in with the cultural aspect of what uh, the film is, is portraying. And uh, I think it's just a really cool piece. And this whole film is really uh, propelled by its score, I feel like. Yeah, I, I will have more to talk about this one later. Nice. Right on. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great one. Let's go to your number four. So my number four is yet another M-Aid film. It is Thomas Newman's score for Pixar's Elemental. And before Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon really started to run away with his first score, I was really hoping that this might be the year that Thomas Newman gets his oscar because mm. he's overdue yeah he's been overdue for decades now i am going to say something a bit controversial in this and i probably i think thomas newman is probably my favorite musical collaborator when it comes to pixar mm. and part of the reason i say that is because of the fact that all of his scores for pixar over the years, Finding Nemo, Wally, this one. You know, Thomas Newman is known for having a very distinct sound. Yeah. I mean, he has very particular orchestrations he uses, very particular instruments he uses. And this is very much in another, this is pretty much on a different level of what we've heard from him before. When it comes to Pixar, he's doing a little bit more ethnic writing. He's doing a little bit more electronic writing and bring some of some electronic elements into it in a way that he really hadn't done with those earlier scores. And I just I just am a huge fan of there's part of the reason Elemental worked for me is because of I mean, it's a very basic story, but it's a very lovely emotional story. And Newman's score, in particular track like my signature track, which is Hot Air Balloon. really stands out as far as a great example of the emotions and the creativity that Thomas Newman brings to Pixar's films and pretty much any score that he writes. Hmm. Maybe this is a little bit of an animation prejudice on my part, but because um, I really liked the score and I, I liked Elemental, the film, and I love Thomas Newman, but I didn't even think to go back to this one when I was kind of like making my short list and like revisiting scores for making this episode. And I I really think it's just like the Pixar aspect. I just kind of like think back to it. I'm like, yeah, it was a really good score, but I just 
it just doesn't occur to me to go back and mm -hmm. check Pixar movies for maybe that'll make my list. Um, yeah. I, sh I should revisit it one of these days, though, because I remember liking it at the time with the movie. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I think it really, I that's completely fair. I mean, certainly, I every year, I for my Patreon subscribers, I do my rundown of my 10 favorite scores of the year. So, I mean, this basically covers this for this year for me, talking with you about it. And, I mean, I, I just, you know, it's like there was something distinctive about the way Newman approached Elemental, which is such a basic story that i i just couldn't i couldn't get enough of i and i mean yeah it's definitely one that i've re-listened to less than say silent night or how to blow up a pipeline or monster on this list but it's one that i just really loved and really engaged with emotionally speaking nice yeah no I, that makes a lot of sense and uh yeah, I'm sure it's a great score. I'm going to have to revisit it one of these days. Uh, I'll, I'll go for my uh, possibly controversial pick um, for number four uh, with May-December. Uh, Marcelo Zarvis adapting Michael Legrand's The Go-Between score, of course. Uh, you know, this is a movie that a lot of people, you know, argued and were, you know, confused about, like, the point of view of the film, what what the tone of it is meant to be, what, how the film is supposed to be taken, and it's all there in the score. And I think that's yeah. exactly why uh, the filmmaker and the composer decided to go in this direction with the score and in, you know, basically covering another film score in a way, you know, <laughs> like that's kind of what's going on here. Um because they knew that that score, like it already exists, it, it's perfect for what we're trying to uh, get across in the kind of quirkiness and weirdness and ridiculousness of this story. And I think it just works so well. It's almost like its own character in the film. And uh, I've singled out the track Butterfly Eggs. <laughs> The main piano theme kind of uh, comes back throughout the whole score, but it's kind of all on display there during the track Butterfly Egg. So I thought that would be the good one to uh, single out mm. here. But it's it's just such a fun piece of music from beginning to end. And uh, it I know not everybody is into the idea of approaching film scoring this way, but why not? Yeah, I mean, this was one of my honorable mentions. I did really enjoy listening to the score. Uh, during the movie and yeah i i agree with you i mean i i it i understand again i understand like you i understand why it probably bounced off of people the way it did but i also look at it listen to it and think that was absolutely the right approach for this particular story yeah and yeah. i mean that that's the type of thing that is so interesting about uh Todd Haynes is a filmmaker. The way he picks music and composers to scores music. I mean, I remember, I remember just absolutely being completely enamored with Elmer Bernstein's score for Far, Far from Heaven, and a big part of it was the way Bernstein evoked those classic fifties 
melodramas of yeah. yesteryear for Hollywood. That and I mean, this score is very much doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. When when you have an idea and you just run with it, like sometimes that's just the thing to do. So, <laughs> what do you got for number three? So my number three is a score that I think most people will not have heard of because they didn't necessarily see the movie and it was a very small release here. It is uh, Gabriel Yared's score for Pietro Marcello's movie Scarlet. And Scarlet is basically, it's it's part drama, part romance, part fantasy. It's uh, set after World War One, and it basically follows the daughter of a soldier who the soldier is trying to do right by her and is struggling to do that. And she is somebody who has a very fanciful way of looking at things. Yared, he's an Oscar winner for the English patient. He has done some tremendous work over the years. I really just love the lushness of this score. I love the romantic elements of this score he did a uh there's a cue on here marie which really gets to the uh, emotional heart of the character And I just, there's songs throughout this score as well that really, it, it all fits into, it's such a wonderful, old-fashioned, romantic fantasy. You know, it's something that Hollywood doesn't necessarily do well, but foreign filmmakers do exceptionally well. And this, I think, is a really great example of it. And I, you know, part of the reason I'm putting it here is, a, because I love it. It's a score that stuck with me the entire year after I saw it. But it's also one where if you get a chance to listen to it after this, I, I think you'll agree why I put it on here. Right on. Yeah. Like you said, um, I actually have not even heard of this movie. So uh, I am quite interested to check it out. And yeah, I, I, you know, a classic score being done you know, nowadays it doesn't really happen that often, but uh, <laughs> I can imagine how that would, uh, you know, take you away in a way. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to check that one out. Uh, my number three is a score that's kind of difficult to find. For some reason, it's not on the streaming services, uh, but it is a film called Sisu uh, from composers uh, Jury Seppa and Tomas Wainalo. And, um, you know, sometimes you want a score that kind of blends into the background and just kind of helps tell the story. And then sometimes you just want to be pummeled by awesome music. <laughs> and uh, this is definitely from like the Mad Max Fury Road, Junkie XL school of film scoring. <laughs> um, it is a revenge movie set on an open wasteland desert. So you can imagine, you know, why Mad Max is probably a big inspiration to this film itself. Um, but the music is just so insanely heavy and big and awesome and uh the track that i picked out is called gas station
And, you know, we all know that Quentin Tarantino is retiring after his 10th movie. But if he was making movies in 30 years, I feel like he would go back, find this track. And it would be like when he's finding these Morricone scores and, uh, you know, reuses them, you know, 20 years later or whatever. Like, I feel yeah. like that's what he would do with this score. It's it's that big and awesome and epic. And uh yeah, th this is just such a fun score, and it's a, it's a great little movie, too. Allegedly retiring, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> um, I have not seen Sisu. Uh, this, this makes me even more curious to uh, see it, because I love the Mad Max Fury Road score, and yeah. I, I, there is something about that school of film scoring that is really exciting when it's done exceptionally well, so... Yeah, I this has been on this this movie's been on my list for a bit and I just need to get to it. So. Right on. Right on. Well, what do you got for number two? So my number two is uh one that I'm sure you will probably have words to talk about because it is one that is stand out among the uh best of the year for many people. It is uh Ludwig Gornson's score for Oppenheimer. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's very tough to have basically my top two scores are basically like really one A and one B. Yeah. Uh I because I mean, obviously you if you're listening to this, you pretty much know what my number one is already. Uh the thing about Oppenheimer, I, I think this is one of the things that's interesting I think about Christopher Nolan is I think he is one of the few filmmakers whom when you take his entire film career and you listen to the music, he has a very distinct sound that he's looking for from his composers. I think Terrence Malick is another excellent example of this yeah. as somebody who between composers has a very distinct sound he wants for his movies. And you hear it in David Julian, you hear it from Hans Zimmer, and then you're hearing it with Gornson between Ten and Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer is, there's such a simplicity to the way Gornson approaches this from a musical standpoint. And it's hard to imagine a score that uses this big of an orchestration, this broad of thematic material for a three hour movie that is propelled by talking more than action. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And making it work. And Gornson absolutely does. And I mean, he's probably going to be winning his second Oscar in a few weeks. And you know what? He, I, I can't, begrudge it to him because of the fact that this score is just such a tremendous one um obviously there are so many pieces that people could point out i think the one i love most is american prometheus Uh, it's one of the shorter ones, but gets to the emotional aspects of this score, gets to the thematic elements of the scores, just a great representation of what this score is. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a fantastic piece of music, and I will be talking about it later. Uh, but it's not my number two, so I guess that tells you where it ends up. But um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Uh, but I'll go to my number two first, uh, which is "No One Will Save You," Joseph Trepanese. Uh, this is one I don't think will end up on a lot of lists because after everybody raved about it for a week, everybody just seems to have forgotten it. But I think it's a great movie and I think it's a awesome little score. It is this constant thrill ride of a film that just once it gets started, it never lets up. And that's exactly how this score is. It is just so exciting. It just keeps going. It It's reminiscent of like classic Amblin sci-fi, you know, adventure type stuff. But then it's also, you know, very current. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Bear McCreary's work on 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is one of my favorite scores of like the last 10 years. Uh, okay. it, it is just super, super exciting and beautiful and fun and kind of tricky, uh, like playful in a way, and uses a lot of really cool sound design mixed with classic orchestral stuff. I use a track called Preparation. is very just highly kinetic, just constant propulsion energy. There's no stopping. There's no way that the main character played by Caitlin Deaver could possibly ever stop to catch her breath, and neither does the music. And uh, yeah, it's just a great little sci-fi movie that really blew me away this year. That's excellent. Yeah, I need to, I, again, another movie I need to catch up with, and I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing that score now and catching up with the movie when I get a chance. Right on, right on. Well, what's your number one? I think I know, but <laughs> let's let's hear it. So so my number one is Robbie Robertson's score for Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. Um it again with Oppenheimer it's basically one A and one B. Uh these two were by far, far and away the best scores I heard this past year. And the the cue that I wanted to point to is uh Heartbeat theme, uh, Niu Konska. This is a piece that really, I think, gets to a lot of the emotional part. Um, one of the things, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're listening to my descriptions here. The emotional aspect of what a film score can do is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I I love, I think the reason this one edges out Oppenheimer for me is that I was, I was obviously a bigger fan of Killers of the Flower Moon than you were, but... I think experiencing this score in the theater really was an experience that I've rarely had when it comes to Scorsese. I mean, Scorsese is an interesting filmmaker in the way he uses music in movies. Uh, 
you know, a lot of what we think about, we think about the songs they use as in movies, the way he uses popular music in movies. Yeah, yeah. When So when he uses score, it's interesting. And I think this is, this is one of my favorite examples of film score they's had for movies in recent years. Um, I would put up there with Howard Shore's score for Hugo and the score that he had for Silence. And, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, it's just such a... It, it's In a way, it's doing very similar things to Oppenheimer in how it's charting the emotional trajectory of the main characters and the tragedy unfolding in their lives, but doing it in a more unusual way and mm. a more unorthodox way. And part of that is because Robbie Robertson is best known as for the band and he's, he's best known for his rock music. And so I think that's, sen and that sensibility is always interesting to experience when they go into film scoring and what is that how is that going to translate i mean resident ross is another excellent example of that sure and um yeah robert's uh killers of flower moon was my favorite score for the year and it it just is it was it was an experience to have that score going on in the theater that i i truly will never forget yeah, absolutely fair enough. I mean, like you said, I wasn't as hot on Killers of the Flower Moon overall, but that score is fantastic. And, um, you know, picking Heartbeat Theme, which is another great track, uh, you know, is a, a great one because the 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 music is the heartbeat of the whole movie and it you know keeps it moving the whole time and you know all the jokes about how long the movie is it doesn't really matter because you're just in it because of that music and mm -hmm. you know that's the last of my complaints about uh, killers of the flower <laughs> moon is is the length um you know i i think it's perfectly fine the way that it's paced and everything uh and the music is part of why that's not an issue at all so but yeah, great, great pick, uh, and I agree, it's fantastic score. Uh, my number one, it is Oppenheimer, Ludwig Göransson. Uh, I honestly, in previous years, I would say it's almost a little bit cringe to have a Nolan score in your top ten, um, just because it's like it's so obvious, and like his scores are always just so big and epic, and everybody loves them, and like as a composer, like half the time that I'm hired to score a film they'll send me temp tracks and it's all freaking Nolan scores, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, uh, again, you know, but this is just so undeniably amazing. The score it's, uh, it, it's incredible. It's not just my favorite score of the year, but it's one of my favorite pieces of music of the year. Um, yeah, I singled out, can you hear the music? just 
an incredible piece of representing just the awe of what's being discovered here with, with this scientific discovery. Uh, but you could go with so much of this score. It's it's huge. At, at first, when I watched the movie, I thought it was almost too big for the movie. And then mm. kind of upon reflection and re-listening to it, like it really just kind of cemented itself for me. Um, it is exactly what this film needed. And I think it just elevates. It is uh, perfect for getting into the mindset of what Oppenheimer is going through and the weight it is all kind of uh, bringing down on him and the realization of like what he's, you know, what, what are the implications of what he's creating here? And um, yeah, it, it's just a perfect score and is so fantastic. And yeah, I, it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, I already talked enough about it, but yeah, it it's, it, it's a remarkable piece of uh, film scoring. I mean, it, it really does cement Gornson as one of the best composers working now in film. And I mean, just the way that he's able to chart the trajectory of this story through all the flashbacks, flash forwards, the timeline changes, and it's, almost entirely talking dialogue scenes yeah. except for the actual uh explosion of the the testing of trinity in it, in and of itself which is mostly and silent once it yeah, happens it's <laughs> and it's 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 remarkable it yeah. truly is yeah incredible stuff so uh let's get to some honorable mentions i think you mentioned one of them earlier which was uh, on my top 10 but what do you have so I've got a number of uh, soundtracks for um, honorable mentions. I mean, admittedly, a couple of these could probably been my top 10 if they were score based. But I, I, I wanted to focus on soundtracks. I wanted to fo focus on film scores for my top 10. A couple of not just score soundtracks that I wanted to bring up is for the first one is for Wim, Vim Vendor's uh, Perfect Days, mm. which I absolutely adore. It's got a great mix of 60s and 70s rock. It's got the kinks. It's got the animals, Patti Smith, Rolling Stones, Van Morrison. And it, it just is, it gets us into the emotional world of its main character beautifully in a way that only them vendors really is capable of as mm. a filmmaker and even in his worst films he gives us great soundtracks but this is one of his best films um another soundtrack i wanted to give mention to it's largely classical but it is for a documentary called river and it is uh it's it's about you know the way rivers have been used in modern times and the you the combination of classical music as well as bare bones uh film music is really impactful in the way that it it was one that I, again it's one that li i listened to a lot earlier on this year and i still return to it it's just a very it's a score that is oddly very soothing then there's uh wonka uh, by the music by Joby Talbot and also the songs and uh, score. I, I, I think it's just 
really a surprisingly good musical soundtrack. I I think it's a really in, interesting musical soundtrack to a movie that pleasantly surprised me. And then Barbie, both the songs as well as the score by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt. Yeah. Uh, they just did a really wonderful job going with the flow of that. And um, yeah, those those are my biggest uh, honorable mentions. Was it you who recommended River to me? Somebody recommended that to me recently. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I, I heard think it's we've great. talked about recently. But yeah, I mean, I I've found myself listening to that soundtrack a lot. Okay. The movie right. itself is is good, but I mean, the soundtrack is really just fantastic to listen to. All right. Yeah, and Barbie's a really good one to include. Uh, I The way that movie uses music is, you know, definitely worth mentioning here, even if it didn't make my top 10. Um, so, yeah, great one. Uh, so I'll go... I have six things written down here for honorable mentions. And in a way, these could be like my 11 through 16, although not in any specific order. Uh I'll start off, first of all, with one that I thought for sure was going to end up in my top 10. Uh, that's Tetris, uh, mainly scored by Lauren Balf and is a fantastic score. Uh, but then it's also a big mix of very like chiptune sounding songs from other artists. And so that's why I didn't include it in my main top 10, just because it's really only like a handful of pieces of actual score and then it just goes into these songs uh existing music um but it's still a great piece of music for anyone who loves video games and i love that movie tetris i'll also include godzilla minus one uh fantastic score which of course you know a big part of it rests on that you know classic godzilla theme but you know overall is really great like dread inducing score mm -hmm. for a really great movie um, past lives, a beautiful score. It, it kind of gets to be a little bit of the same thing over and over, like once yeah. it gets into it, which is what kept it out of my top 10, but overall like really beautiful stuff. Um, I'm a huge Clint Mansell fan. Uh, Sharper is one that I barely even remember the movie, which is what kept it out <laughs> of my top 10. But, uh, I did really like the music though when I revisited it. So it definitely deserves a shot here. And then, uh, you know I'm a big Aquaman fan. Aquaman and the Lost <laughs> Kingdom. Rupert Gregson Williams uh, to, got in here with this one. Just as big, just as exciting, just as that mix of superhero stuff with synth stuff. Lots of arps in there, and like it's it's just an awesome, ridiculous, over the top score, and I love it. And then the last one, I know a lot of people were kind of uh, not. Uh, you know, that excited about this making it into the Oscar nominations, but it really was on my uh, main list. It almost made my top 10. American Fiction, uh, Laura Cartman's score is, I think, fantastic. Um, it, it really is basically just a jazz score, which is what kept it mm -hmm. off of my top 10. But beautiful music fits really well in the film, and uh, it's, it's a great piece of music. It's maybe one that I would listen to on its own more than anything else out of all these. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I'll I'll admit it's like I I I mentioned that on Facebook that was very underwhelmed by the original score nominees. It's not to say that I didn't like the ones that I didn't absolutely love. I mean, you know, I I enjoyed Dowell Destiny, but it's like, come on, it's John Williams. Yeah, he sure, doesn't yeah. need another he doesn't need a nomination for everything. And American fiction, I I was I very much liked the 
score listening to the movie. I probably need to listen to it outside of the movie because I did really like it in the context of the movie. But yeah, it I, I remember really liking the score in the movie. So it's one that I'm like, OK, you know, I, I get it. Not I mean, I would prefer to other scores that didn't get nominated. But, you know, it is the the Academy very rarely syncs up with me when it comes to scores anyway, because of yeah. the fact that, I mean, it's just it's been basically the case since I've been a kid, since I've been a teenager. So, I mean, I basically don't expect them to reward the one that I love the most in general. So, yeah, um, this year it might happen, though. Uh, I have a feeling. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, again, it's basically one A, one B between those two for me. Like if either one, I will be happy to see when I mean, it's going to be Oppenheimer at this point. But yeah, I I would be I'm not going to begrudge it. Um, I did want to uh, ask you, we I, we we kind of touched on it and it's more. Have you seen the zone of interest yet? I have. Yeah. Um, OK. The score and we, we did talk about this a little bit beforehand. The score did not necessarily make an impact on me. The sound design, though. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, a. it's it's <laughs> it's one of the best uses of sound ever in a movie. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll be. Even though I have a feeling Oppenheimer will probably win that one, I would love to see Zone of Interest win Best Sound because sound is a fundamental part of why that movie's as impactful as it is because it's telling a completely, it's telling a secondary story that's ultimately the primary story. Yes. Um. But yeah, I mean, I was I was very shocked at how little Mika Levy's score is in it. It's pretty much just in those moments when we see the uh, girl with the apples. Right. Is when we get, is when we get score. And so, yeah, I was, I was really floored by, I mean, yeah, the it's, it's all about the, it's all about the sounds that two events that we're not hearing in that movie. And yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, Godzilla minus one, unfortunately, is a movie I have not had a chance to see yet, but I can't wait to listen to that score because I'm sure it's amazing. Um, I'm I'm sure there are other scores that I need to re-listen to and, you know, and just experience along with movies that I haven't had a chance to see yet. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's like, I, I kind of feel like, and I think it's partially because of the fact that the top of my favorite scores is so weighted that like collectively the entire year just kind of doesn't feels kind of underwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you listen to any of these 10 scores and I think you, I hope you would be able to see why they're or hear why they're where they are my top 10. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think we got a lot of great stuff in between our, our lists here. I do want to throw one last honorable mention in uh, fool's paradise, which is a movie that only I like uh, everyone else hates, but the score is John Bryan and it is undeniably great. Uh, I don't think anybody could watch that movie and not agree that at least the music is good. Uh, I didn't include it uh, mainly because, you know, I've already 
tried to make everybody watch this movie enough. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so shout out to Pool's Paradise. And I think uh, that does it for our scores conversation here. Brian, uh, tell people where they can find you and Sonic Cinema www.sonic-cinema.com is the uh, main website there you can find my print reviews my uh, episodes of the podcast and other blog as well as some of my original music and uh, one of the blogs I wrote in January is about the importance of a uh, personal soundtrack inspired by Vin Vendor's Perfect Days so I hope you check that piece out as well as my uh, music, original music in general. And, uh, you know, you can also find that on Bandcamp as well as plenty of other streaming services. But, uh, yeah, sonic-cinema.com is the main place to go. And I'm on, I think, pretty much all of the major uh, social media sites. I've got different names alongside different ones. It just kind of depends. I'll have the links in the show notes. Everybody will come find you, check out the music, check out the podcast, check out the writing. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for being here, Brian. And hopefully we'll get you back again sometime soon. Thank you very much. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about some of our favorite film scores of 2023. Thank you to Brian Scuttle for joining me on that one. And thank you to all of you for listening We'd love to hear your thoughts on our picks. If there's any films that you think uh, we're crazy for including, let us know. If there's any films that we really should have included, let us know too. I actually made uh, a full 20 score list. Uh, I'll probably share that on Twitter or something at some point. Uh, There's a lot of films with great music last year but uh get in touch i'd love to hear what your picks are and uh, i always love hearing from everybody who's out there you can follow us on social media at piecing pod join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces and don't forget we do have a patreon the produced by david rosen patreon where i post bonus and advanced content from piecing it together from awesome movie year and from my music career, uh, there's actually a couple of exclusive score albums from films that I've scored that I didn't feel needed their own full album release, like on you know streaming, Spotify, Apple Music, all that stuff, or or a CD even. Um, but that were completed scores and. There will be more of those hitting the Patreon very soon, actually. Uh, Speaking of which, I'm going to be playing a track from that in a second. But before we get to that, uh, Patreon. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. They're produced by David Rosen Patreon. Again, lots of great stuff over there from all the podcasts and the music. And uh, I appreciate your support. I just appreciate you being out there listening. But if you want to check that out, check it out. Uh, I've got a whole lot of new stuff on the way musically. I'm currently doing a 24 for 2024 series. It's 24 new songs, 24 singles, the first and third Friday of every month for the whole year. So much music on the way. Like I said, those score albums that are going to be hitting the Patreon. uh, I'm actually scoring a short film right now at the time this goes up, which who knows, that might end up somewhere at some point i'll also be scoring a feature in a few months uh which maybe that'll end up somewhere it's a lots on the way lots of stuff so make sure you're following and uh yeah as always thank you for listening so let's close this out with a piece of music like i always do and you know we're talking about 2023 film scores so i gotta play a piece from a score 
from a film that was released in 2023 that I scored. This is a film called Inexistent, which is available for rental on Amazon Prime right now. This is a piece of that score, and that full soundtrack album will be on the Patreon any day now. It might be up right now. Uh, it's going to be up within the next month, but it's ready. It'll be up there. It's the next thing that I'm putting on the Patreon. So anyway, you can check that out. But this is a piece called In the Dark of the Night from that score, Inexistent. Hope you enjoy it. If you like it, maybe check out the film. Again, you can rent it on Amazon Prime, and it's on a bunch of the other services as well. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.